Welcome to Tip of the Tongue, a podcast on the Nitty Grits Network, where we explore the intersection of food and drink and museums. This is Liz Williams. A chance observation during a visit to a museum, an old handwritten cookbook from the years before World War II, has become the inspiration for a series of dinners being planned around the country by James Beard Foundation award-winning chef Alon Shia. We talk about the story and its meaning on Tip of the Tongue. We're here today with Chef Alon Shia. He is chef owner of Saba in New Orleans, as well as other restaurants around the country as a part of Pomegranate Hospitality, which he co-owns with wife, Emily. He is also leading a culinary project involving a handwritten family cookbook that survived the Holocaust. Welcome, Alan. Hey, Liz. So I am really intrigued by this story. I think that it is so, so touching and says so much about how important museums are and archives are to share things, number one, but number two, how important food is in representing family and identity and closeness to others. So it's just kind of one of those projects that covers all the bases. It's really kind of exciting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so tell me the story and uh, tell me how you got involved. Sure. Well, the story goes back really over 10 years ago when I was in Israel with a culinary tour out there. We went to the Holocaust Museum in Jerusalem and I learned about recipes that were written in concentration camps during the Holocaust and also the way that people would think about food and use food as a way to distract, a way to comfort, a way to remember stories from their from their lives during one of the most horrific experiences you can imagine. And I learned about these women who had these kind of cooking clubs, if you will, in the concentration camps where they were being starved, where they were being murdered, and they would get together and they would have these kind of fantasy Shabbat meals, fantasy family dinners, and they would, you know, set the table with their grandmother's linen and make their mother's favorite soup or make the chicken that their kids really love to eat. And they would kind of talk through their, you know, their fantasies of what their lives were like before they were brought to the concentration camps. And I was just so moved by those stories. And I was so intrigued of that connection that people would have towards food at their at their very um at most for most of them their their very last moments and i think that it never left me the way that i was thinking about how important that was and how special that was and so i years later i'm at i'm at a party here in new orleans and mara Baumgarten Force is there, who's a, a wonderful New Orleanian that is a friend of mine. And I was telling her 
the story. And she said, well, look, you know, I, I have a friend who is with the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum in Washington, DC. Let me put you in touch with them because they probably have a lot of like these culinary artifacts there as well that they could show you. Uh, and so she put me in touch with someone named Jed Silberg, who, uh, who works with the museum. And we were invited to come out to DC and look at all of the culinary artifacts that they had in their archives. And so Mara and Emily and I, my wife Emily and I went out there and we're looking through all these incredible recipes that they, they found from the concentration camps that were saved in one way or another. Maybe they were found in the camps or they were donated by uh, you know, by people who survived. And one of the things that we came across was the Fenves family cookbook. And it was a full entire cookbook, all handwritten with many different chapters that broke it down between sauces and desserts and entrees and soups and salads. And I was blown away that there was this full, this full cookbook and it was so it was so well written and so extensive. And I started asking more questions about it. And they said, well, Stephen Fenves, you know, donated this book. He's an Auschwitz survivor. And him and his sister survived Auschwitz. But before that, they were they were taken from their home to be sent to the Jewish ghettos along with the rest of their family. And as they were being led from their home, all of the neighbors were lined up outside of their apartment, ready to go in there and loot and steal everything from, from them. And that was just pretty much common practice because of the incredible amount of anti-Semitism that, that existed in this town of Subutica, which was part of Yugoslavia at the time. And one of the people that were waiting outside of the apartment was the Fenves family's cook. Her name was Marish. Uh, and they didn't know that she was out there amongst this crowd of people who were spitting on them and cursing at them as they were being taken from their home. And Marish uh, went in to the apartment and saved the family cookbook and also a lot of Stephen's artwork, Stephen's mother's artwork. His mother, Clara, was a lithograph uh, design artist and, and did all these beautiful hand drawings that she saved a lot of those as well. Stephen's mother uh, and many of his extended family were murdered at Auschwitz. And Stephen and his sister and his father actually survived. His father passed away shortly after uh, they were liberated from the camps because he was very sick. And Stephen said he was very heartbroken over just, you know, everything that, that happened. He wasn't able to recover mentally from, from this extremely traumatic experience. And, and Stephen says that, this, this amazing kind of miracle happened one day that Marish showed up and, and brought 
than the last remaining things that they had in their family, and the cookbook was one of them. Stephen and his sister eventually moved to America. They had to give everything back to Marish because they, they still needed to escape communist Yugoslavia and weren't and were afraid that anything that they took with them would be, you know, taken and, and confiscated. So they gave everything back to Marish and eventually Marish mailed all, all the cookbook and the artwork to Stephen and his sister in Chicago. And it was part of their family heirloom when Stephen's sister Etsy passed away in the two at uh, same time during 2000 i think late i'm not sure of exactly the date but when she when she passed away etsy was really the one that had the cookbook at her home they donated it to the museum and then it was there for you know over you know over a decade sitting in the in the archives mm-hmm. um and when i came across it i you know, was asking questions about it. And uh, they said, well, Stephen, you know, donated the book to the museum. He's still alive and he comes and and uh, speaks regularly at the museum and talks to, talks to people that are touring through and tells them of, you know, his, his experiences during the war. Uh, and so I said, wow, well, you know, this is like really one of the only opportunities like out of all of the different artifacts that we were looking at this one this cookbook was the was the opportunity to get really a first person narrative about the recipes and the book and and not not from necessarily a a extended family member or you know just a memory but here Stephen you know can I can talk to him about this recipe or that recipe and his memory of it and and what it means to him. And so Stephen and I started communicating with each other through Zoom, and we were going to do an event at the museum where I was gonna cook the food for from the book, and I was gonna serve it to him for the first time, you know, that he's had this food since 1944. Oh, wow. And then COVID hit. Uh, and, you know, there was no gathering, but I began cooking. Stephen started to translate the recipes from the book. What, from what language, the recipes what, what that, language not, are they in? What language are they in? in Hungarian. Hungarian. Okay. Most of them are in Hungarian. Right. And he began translating the recipes and sending me the translations through email. And I would begin I started cooking the recipes and making the dishes and sending him pictures of it and asking him questions about it. And we would go back and forth and and there would be certain recipes that he would be like, yeah, that's how it was done. Or others that he would say, no, it didn't look like this. It looked like that. And eventually I started packaging up the food and shipping it to him and his family members around the country. You know, he has a son in Atlanta and a daughter in a different state, and uh, I began shipping the food out so that the whole family could taste these recipes that were from this book. And we just kind of formed this beautiful friendship through memories of the recipes and the translation process and getting to know his family. I was invited to come to his 90th birthday party. This was like as COVID was starting to wane down. 
and I flew out to Bethesda and, and was a surprise guest at his 90th birthday party. And uh, we just formed this great friendship. And we also did a, instead of the event at the museum, we did a Facebook Live event together, Stephen and I, where he was tasting the food that I had shipped to him for the first time. And I was doing some of the recipes as well in my kitchen at the same time. And we did it all through Facebook Live. And, and uh, that event, you know, got well over 100,000 views on Facebook, which was really incredible. And we decided to turn our work together and our friendship into a fundraiser to begin raising money for the Holocaust Memorial Museum's collections department, which is who is in charge of this cookbook. Right. And, and the goal from that is so that money can be used to translate the written artifacts and the archives and digitize it so that they can be shared throughout the world over the internet. And if you have you know a family member who's donated something or you've donated something or your you know great grandmother or your grandmother you know wrote something down and it was it was during the war and it was saved and and donated to the museum eventually you could now pull it up on your computer and see it and and so we did a dinner finally after many years of friendship and a lot of it just virtually because of COVID, mm -hmm. uh, we did an event together in Washington, D.C. and in person. And that in one night, we raised $180,000 wow. to be donated to the museum. And I, I cooked recipes from the Fenves family cookbook and Stephen was there and we hosted a lot of people that, you know, heard, our, heard the story and heard the story of Marish the story of Stephen's and I's friendship. Uh, and now we're on a national tour with this initiative. We just did an event in New Orleans and we're doing one soon in Atlanta and then eventually on to Los Angeles and New York and Denver and Chicago. And, and uh, we hope that in all we'll raise, you know, a million dollars or more to bring these artifacts to life to bring them back to life, to make sure that people have access to these written works that were, whether it's a cookbook or a letter or a journal or a diary, that people have access to this writing because, you know, there is a chance that many people don't know that the Holocaust existed or that it ever happened or may be a fan of Kanye West and and think that it was you know, a, a good thing, a good thing that it happened or or made up or or that someone is out there, you know, looking up to the Nazis for whatever reason, that this work out there can be shared so people are able to remember what happened and prevent something like this from happening again. And one one of the major reasons that Stephen and I are doing this is, is not just to bring these recipes back to life, but it's a way to connect to people about 
what the Holocaust was. And how, how do you tell a 13-year-old that 6 million Jews were murdered during the Holocaust? Like, what does that number mean? Like, what does 6 million mean to a 13-year-old? To what does it mean to us? It's so hard to put our heads around a number that big. But when you can bake someone a cake and you can say, let me tell you where this recipe came from and the story behind it. And let me talk to you about Marish, this non-Jewish woman who risked her life to help a Jew when they were being murdered and, and, and being forced from their home. And this small gesture of just saving a cookbook, saving some artwork has now impacted the lives of not only Stephen, but his children, his grandchildren, his great-grandchildren, and that this cake recipe could be something that they remember their family by, you know, when one day in the future. And I think that, and, and they can remember what their family went through and why this recipe is so important. And that yeah. is the power of food. And one of the things that I wanted to, to ask you is about the book itself. You have seen, if not the, not gone through every page of the book yourself, you've seen at least scans of it so that you've seen the pages. Is it all written in the same handwriting or is it written in different handwriting? It was written by Stephen's mother. Are you Clara. sure that it was written by her? The reason I asked that question is because it was very common, probably at the time that she was getting married, to have a family member or a person write out all of the special recipes that the new bride would need. And, and then often you'll find in those books notes written by the bride as the bride makes changes or or other things to the recipes because it reflects the family's um, yeah. well ideas. to that to that point there there are a lot of recipes in the book that are credited to Stephen's aunt or a friend of the family or a family at the time that they had and so there's a lot of credit to that uh, credits to those people but from what I saw, the the handwriting looked like it was all the same because the book was his father, Stephen's father, owned a printing press, mm -hmm. uh, a very successful printing press. They were a very successful family. You know, they had a full-time cook, Marish. They had a full-time driver. His father had several employees and they would print books and uh, different types of newspapers or magazines and things like that and one day the nazis came in or actually there were the hungarian troops working on behalf of the nazis came into the factory and and pointed a gun at him and said this is ours now your business is no longer yours and walked him out of the out of the factory before that happened, the, the father took all of the family recipes that the mother had compiled and 
put him into this beautiful bound book. Okay, so he um, bound which is, which is, Okay. Yeah, which is how, you know, this book has really survived all this time. It's not kind of like a Rolodex or a collection of papers. It's actually a bound, professionally done book. Um, so I, I think maybe that all the recipe, whether if the recipes say came from a lot of different people, they were all written maybe by the same person. I think it was Stephen's mother and then bound yeah. into the book. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, so they used to sell blank books for you to write these things out. And and there were actually people who had beautiful handwriting that you could hire to write them out for you. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Well, that's a great question. I, I would like to ask Stephen about that when I talk to him next, because it, it may be that many people wrote in the book, or it may be that it was just his mother, but that, that's a, a great question to figure out. Yeah. And, and it doesn't take anything away from the story. It's just a, a little detail about the, yeah. the practices of the time in terms of giving people recipes that were family yeah. recipes and they were usually yeah. in handwritten, handwritten books. Um, yeah. You can, you can, you know, now access the book online. So if you, if you Google, I'm you know, family, Fenves family cookbook, you know, and you go to the museum's website, you can scroll through some of the pages and see it. Okay. Okay. One other really uh interesting point about the digitizing that Stephen had said, and this was something that none of us had considered, was that when he actually looked at the book itself, a lot of the words were faded. Um, You couldn't, it was very hard for him to see some of the writing, but when it was digitized, it brought this bright white background to it. Mm -hmm. And so the writing was all so much more pronounced and easier to read and easier to translate. And I thought that that was a really interesting point too, that like, uh, yes, this, like this, these pieces of paper are so important to the family, but it's the words inside that really mean that, that have the the meat and potatoes, the context of everything. And and that if Stephen's great granddaughter or great grandson one day can bake that cake recipe because it's easier to, easier to read and it's and it's you know digitized and they can pull it up on their computer like that that's really i think the, the special thing about about this right right digitizing things really makes them accessible in ways that you don't even think about and then you get to look at the fragile, fragile thing that it is, physically fragile, without worsening its condition, which is always yeah. a, a worry in the yeah. in the archive yeah. business. Yeah, yeah. Well, are you all thinking of turning this into a book with the recipes translated, maybe against the the handwritten recipe? You know, we haven't discussed that. I know a lot of people have brought that up. Um, I think right now our our focus is on, um, you know, doing this this tour where we where we go and and cook recipes from the book and invite people from different communities to come and hear the story of Marish and her heroism and to hear, you know, from Stephen of his memories of the book and, and of his family. And 
you know, I think we've we've raised about two hundred and fifty thousand dollars so far, and so we're well on to our our way to achieve our goal of a million dollars raised, and that I think is going to have a big impact uh, for for digitizing these written archives. And so maybe more will come from it in the future, though I, I don't know yet. Well, so tell me, you've talked a little bit about this cake, cake recipe. What has been your actual favorite recipe that you've made and tasted from the book? Well, my favorite recipe are these little potato circles that Stephen remembers from his childhood not being allowed to eat. Uh, he tells about he tells us about Marish and her kind of oversight over the kitchen space and how she was really this force to be reckoned with. And <laughs> she kind of really, you know, maintained order in the kitchen and, you know, and she had a family to cook for and, and she was very protective over the space in the kitchen and, and his family would entertain a lot. And they would, you know, they would invite people over and have dinner parties. And Stephen remembers this tray of these potato circles, which which is like a potato bread, like a potato roll that had ground lamb mixed with onions and sour cream pressed into the middle of the roll and then baked. So these little potato circles looked kind of like little bialis. Uh, you would you would take ground lamb with onions and paprika and black pepper and garlic and cook it down and then mix it with sour cream and then make this potato roll where you roasted potatoes and then mashed there doesn't seem to be a way to avoid this <laughs> no problem at all you mash the potato and then fold it into this bread dough and with yeast and then you roll it out, cut little circles out of it, and then stuff the ground lamb with the sour cream mixture in the, in the middle of this circle of potato dough, and then let it proof. And then you take that and then pan fry it in oil until it rises and gets golden brown and, and the, the lamb cooks through. And they're delicious. And Stephen remembers as a kid, seeing them on the counter and wanting to eat them, but not being allowed to because those were <laughs> only for the adults. Oh, right. um, and, and so when we did our first event in DC and Stephen walked into the home, it was actually at, at Joan Nathan's home. She uh, hosted this event and, and Joan is a, an amazing, incredible Jewish cookbook writer and author. And, and she was a big part of the success of this event um, for hosting it and just being there to help tell the story. And so Stephen walks into Joan's home and there's this big tray of potato circles and I bring Stephen over to it. And I say, Stephen, you can have as many potato circles as you want. <laughs> and it was just a beautiful moment that uh, really sticks with me. And um I, you know, I'm just so grateful to the Fenves family for being open to this collaboration and working with me on, on telling Marish's story, bringing this cookbook 
kind of back to life with cooking the food from it. it it's been one of the most, I think, impactful works that I've done and impacts on my career uh, because it's more than just cooking. It is really about connecting, about storytelling, and about Every... preventing hate. And about preventing hate. You know, there's a there's a there's a there's a goal for this, you know, and 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 it is to ensure that we never forget that the Holocaust happened. And with the you know the rise in anti-Semitism that continues and also just you know the generation of people that actually survived this the the war is not going to be around very much longer and we have a duty to continue telling these stories in a way that prevents them from happening again i think that this work we're doing is very important yes i think so too and i think it's just a remarkable thing that it survived and that Marish was such a loyal and special person that she um, she decided that this was something to keep and because she didn't know what was going to happen. Mm -hmm. so that's really great also that, that it survived because of that. Yeah. 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 So when is your next dinner where is it going to be where do you have things scheduled you don't need to give me you know every date or whatever but where are yeah. the well we have um, march 21st will be the the date we do an event in atlanta it's going to be at a private home there and then we go on to philadelphia after that and then eventually we're, we'll make it out to los angeles and chicago and new york and denver so we don't have all the, the dates ironed out just yet, but that's kind of our plan. And so if somebody wants to learn more about this project, is it on the website of the Cost Museum or do you have other things on your website also? It's on the Pomegranate Hospitality website. If you if you click on our charitable of events and contributions, you'll see a lot of the information about rescued recipes on there. Also on the museum's website on Facebook, uh, I think you can, you can also just Google, um, you know, the Fenves Family Cookbook and see a lot of articles that have been written about our work together. There was a really great uh, Washington Post piece done by Tim Carmen about our work together, and and I think that. You know, it's important for people to, to read about it and then think to themselves, like, well, what can they do to what is the subject matter that they want to pick to help, you know, prevent people from hating each other? And, you know, however, however you decide to go about that in life, um, I think it's important to do in one way or another. This is just the one way that I thought made sense for me to do it. Well, thanks so much, Alon, for sharing this story. It's really an exciting project. It just seems so personal, and I just find it to be really touching. And I hope that it can achieve all of those goals that you talk about 
whether it's just to make Stephen taste potato circles or to stop anti-Semitism. Yeah. It's a broad, a broad range of goals. Uh-huh. Yeah. Multitasking. <laughs> right, right. Yes. So thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Tip of the Tongue, part of the Nitty Grits Network of the Southern Food and Beverage Museum in New Orleans. Learn more and subscribe to this and other podcasts at southernfood.org or wherever you listen to podcasts. Find us on Facebook on Nitty Grits Podcasts. I'm Liz Williams. Thanks for listening.